We have an electric podcast today. Do not pardon the pun. Nikola Tesla, namesake of the ever so popular Tesla Motors, was a pioneer of his time. In this episode, we will follow Tesla as he forges a path from Europe to New York City. We will discuss his contributions to American society, his feud with the famed Thomas Edison, and explore his seeming mad scientist persona. Swaybo? Paz, how are you? How are you today? I'm doing well, doing well. It's, there's a thunderstorm, lightning outside, which is very appropriate because today we talk about Nikola Tesla. So, Slavo, what, what did you know about Tesla before, you know, reading up on him? Uh, I knew he was a big name in electricity and electrical engineering. He's got two car companies named after him. You've got Tesla and you've got Nikola. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive. When, you, when your name gets dissected into two different companies, you know you've uh, made a big name for yourself. Yeah, definitely. And 100 years... Uh, after the fact. So another place he popped up in pop culture, have you seen the movie Prestige? Yes. So Nikola Tesla is portrayed there on the Colorado mountains, um, being like the mad scientist working in the hills, working on these electricity prototypes. Uh, So so that's another pop culture reference to Nikola Tesla. Um, That's Christopher Nolan. Yeah, yeah, Christopher Nolan is yeah, is a direct set, right? Yeah, it's crazy good movie. But and the other thing I feel about Tesla is, you know, he's gained popularity recently. He's kind of a cult classic. Where I feel Edison is your mainstream choice of inventor, but the real noise nerds <laughs> they anoint Tesla. Um, yeah, can I can I confess something while we're in this uh, things you knew and didn't know going into it? Yeah, this is safe space. The whole time when I was reading about Tesla, he reminded me of the guy in the Prestige who's like off doing the crazy electric. (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I was envisioning that. I was like, oh, this is like in Prestige when the guy has got the crazy machine going. That's Tesla. Uh, Yeah, that's he's he's in the movie, and I think they refer to him by name. Um, Yeah, so wow, that's crazy. (laughs) Wow, they, accurate portrayal. I, I was envisioning it while I was reading about what, what he actually did. Yeah. So I'm going to have to rewatch the movie now. It's uh, a great minus movie. Minus one point for me for not making that connection. No, things clicked. Uh, so do you, do you got a quote for us before we step through his life? Yes, I do. I don't care that they stole my idea. I care that they don't have any of their own. Whoa. So he, yeah, he, pretty, uh, pretty exemplary of, of his academic, smart, anti-social nature. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so he's born 1865 in Croatia. His family is Serbian, bit of a world traveler, you know, throughout his life. But uh, he lived on a farm and he read a lot, which when you hear that nowadays, I think we assume it's kind of intellectual and educated, but I think at the time reading a lot is the main form of 
entertainment. So it's the equivalent of today binge watching Netflix. And I think it was genuinely a problem where his parents would try to hide the candles from him so he wouldn't stay up all night uh, reading. But yeah, he's a voracious reader. I think Tesla would be somebody that if he lived in modern times, he would be hardcore addicted to video games. Oh, absolutely. That's, that is such a good call. Absolutely. Um, he would be so addicted to video games. <laughs> It'd be out of control. He would like, he would like not come out of his room for like weeks. That's, that's how I imagine Tesla if he was modern day. Absolutely. Yeah. That's definitely his personality. All, one speed doesn't get sleep. Um, and then also he, he is sick a lot. And one time he got, and who knows if that's related to not getting any sleep, but sick a lot one time he was so sick they weren't sure if he was going to make it and that was the point where his father who was a priest and had previously not supported his desire to be an engineer was like if you recover we'll send you to school and become an engineer Um, he recovered and they sent him to a polytech school in austria where he absolutely excelled academically you know highest grades got awards um but to do so, he, he worked all day, every day from 3 a.m. to 11 p.m., which, uh, you know, for those doing the math at home, that's 20 hours. <laughs> and he even later found letters to his dad that professors worried he would work himself to death and felt the need to, you know, to send these letters to his dad. And it makes you wonder. Burnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was definitely at risk for a burnout. Yeah. And it makes you wonder, what do you think? What do you think motivated him? How does he able to work 20 hours a day, every day, no vacations? Honestly, that is something that through my research, I haven't really been able to pin down what it was that pushed him to these limits. Because he was kind of almost like a crazed, I don't know if he was maybe like on the spectrum or something. And he just kind of just, just had an unbelievable drive because there there wasn't a lot of uh, familial motivating factors. It wasn't like he was chasing fame or chasing women or uh, chasing money or anything like that. He was completely stayed on task and was motivated about his uh, engineering pursuits for pretty much his whole life. So honestly, I, I couldn't really put a pin on it yeah. where what motivated him. Yeah, I agree. It was throughout his life, you know, he worked all the time, extremely motivated. And it's kind of like you said with the video games, where I feel like he, he was just addicted to science and he just spent all his time working on science. And yeah, yeah. speaking of addiction, um, his university days in his third year, he got so invested in gambling that he gambled all his allowance and tuition money. Um, and, and he was enjoying, you know, the nightlife a little bit, playing a lot of billiards and cards, drinking alcohol, smoking tobacco. So again, kind of that addictive personality. And um, mm-hmm. because of this, you know, he dropped out of school, university, never finished. He, for a time, he severed ties with his family. And, you know, it adds him to the list of famous tech people who dropped out of school. Um, Steve Jobs, mm. Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, and he dropped out of school. He he avoided the draft to go into the Austro-Hungarian War, 
avoided the draft, ran away and into the um, into the mountains, and then was basically living the nomad life in the mountains, and was just reading books all the time before <laughs> in his in-between stage from after when he dropped out of college and before he started working, he was just kind of like being a wilderness man. And wow, that's reading. yeah, that's that's news to me. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting character. Wow, so just heads to the hills, um, avoiding yeah, the draft. For, yeah. Yeah, he credited it for making him like physically and mentally stronger because he just kind of went off on his own and, and lived up in the woods. Wow. Yeah, crazy. And also crazy that he's, you know, in the draft for Austria and he's like, you know, it's he's not even like he's probably not even a citizen there. He just went to school there. But anyway, um, so after after the time in the hills where he finds himself, uh, he, he's starts working as a telephone exchange um, again still doesn't have his degree but he does well and then eventually he works at continental edison company in paris and yes edison the edison thomas edison um, this is his company and so he's, he's getting you know hands-on electrical experience installing direct current dc electrical systems in paris and opera houses in places that can afford these huge massive uh, electricity systems and then his manager relocates to the u.s again still under the edison company and he wants tesla to come with with him and so tesla goes to new york and as legend have it has it tesla has four cents and a recommendation from his advisor that he's going to give to edison and the note says <clears throat> i know two great men you were one of them, the other is this young man. And, and that's what Tesla then presents to Edison um, upon arriving in the United States. And uh, his manager, his name was Bachelor, inventor of the Bachelor pad. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was funny. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. For the record, he did not invent the bachelor pad. <laughs> he may or may not have invented the bachelor pad. <laughs> I do not know. Can neither confirm nor deny, but he may have invented the bachelor pad, but uh, <laughs> we're not certain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so Edison, uh, in the beginning, you know, he admires te uh, Nikola Tesla's work ethic. I mean. Tesla is a very junior employee, you know, low on the totem pole at this point. And then at some point, Edison sarcastically offers $50,000 in that time. So about a million today, if Tesla improved design for these, for these DC dynamos and Tesla goes and does that and comes back looking for his adjusted million dollar reward and thomas edison is like bro it was a joke this is u.s humor um but tesla is upset enough about it and leaves and so there ends the working relationship of nikola tesla and thomas edison and from what i read about it it was kind of unreasonable for tesla to think that that was real it was it was kind of ludicrous and for whatever reason tesla just chose to believe it 
but it was like definitely not serious and Tesla just took it completely seriously yeah which, I mean kind of speaks to his nature yeah again kind of that as you mentioned that the antisocial. um and so a, a quick little comparison of Edison and Tesla because uh, they are very much tied in history, and obviously this is the beginning of them meeting. But in terms of personality, Thomas Edison is very messy, doesn't keep up with his hy hygiene, um, while uh, Tesla is, people believe, they didn't really diagnose in the time, but they believe he had obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. Tesla was extremely neat. Edison was the type of person to tinker and play around in a lot of hands-on research, while Tesla was very theoretical and, uh, you know, would do the math and would imagine these systems in his head. And then obviously mm. a big, yeah, um, you know, as time would tell, Edison is better at bringing his inventions to products while maybe Tesla has a better vision um, and is more inventive. But, and we'll see, you know, they kind of, they have, they butt heads um, and, to give you an idea how much they butt heads, listen to this quote that Tesla submitted to the New York Times when Thomas Edison died. Tesla wrote, he had no hobby, cared for no sort of amusement of any kind, and lived in utter disregard of the most elementary rules of hygiene. So just <laughs> very aggressively uh, writes poorly about Thomas Edison when he dies to the New York Times. To give you a feel for their relationship. Yeah, Tesla was kind of a harsh guy, wasn't he? He didn't hold back. At one point, he fired one of his secretaries because she was overweight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you saw that too. Um, yeah, he... I, just, I don't know if there's ever a good time to bring that up, but I just <laughs> wanted to get out there. It's probably not cool. And while he's just slandering people. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that's Tesla's personality. Again, not super social, probably not able to communicate in ways that people find like agreeable. And I think it honestly probably hurt his ability to create products from his great ideas. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then the other big difference uh, between Edison and Tesla is the whole AC versus DC. Um, so alternating current, which Tesla championed and direct current, which Edison championed. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, when you hear ACDC, you think of the band. Was, yeah, the band ACDC. <laughs> is, there, is there potentially a, a relation there? <laughs> of course. Uh, so how the band got the name is they saw AC slash DC written on a sewing machine and they thought it was cool. <laughs> But Wait, so, so was the, what, so the now now I'm intrigued. Did the sewing machine have AC and DC power? Oof, I, I don't know. My my research stopped there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Should it, I keep asking more questions? <laughs> no, I'm it, intrigued. It, it might, and and I don't know, but a lot of times AC currents are used to get from buildings to buildings along power lines and then maybe sometimes devices actually use dc so, so maybe it converts it i don't know maybe it uses both but uh regardless it you know it let a great band shows it as a name and okay so we're gonna we're gonna get 
a little bit technical here, but I, I think I came up with a good analogy to make it uh, not terribly painful. But so direct current is, as it sounds, electricity runs in one direction. So if you think of a person on a track with like a, a baton and they were running in circles and every time they got to the start line, they would light up the, a light bulb or like light a lamp. And that's how the direct current works. And the issue with that is if you're running around, this current loses steam pretty quickly because it's running constantly. While the alternating current, you can think of as a team of people who are handing batons. And so they run, you know, maybe around left the first way and they each run 20 meters, hand the baton, they get to the light, they light it, but then they run the other way. So they alternate which way they're running. And because these electrons, or in this case, these people on the track, are only running short distances, they don't lose energy as much. So the point of that is with direct current, it, they were lighting up Manhattan, but to get it across the entire United States, they would have need a power plant every mile. So anywhere there's current, they need a power plant because it takes so much, so much energy. But then with alternating current, which is what Tesla championed and ultimately won out, that allows currents to travel far distances. So you can have these huge power line structures and, you know, light up the entire United States. And so, yeah. A little, uh, little foreshadowing of which one is <laughs> more yeah. useful in the end. Yeah. Um, thank you for doing the technical analogy on the AC versus DC because uh, I read a lot of articles and they were all very, very confusing. A lot of mag magnetic talk. Yeah, yeah. And, so, uh, but but that was, that was a good description. I think I think AC power less um, longer lasting. I think was a uh, was a big thing about it. Whereas DC power was uh, had like cooler things that you could do with it. Like you could change the speed, and you didn't need a transformer and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. And they're they're definitely both used now. Where AC is used to go from building to building along lines. But ironically, the Tesla motor vehicles, the electrical electric vehicles, they use direct current, ironically. <laughs> That's blasphemous. <laughs> so, yeah. But I think ultimately, you know, AC kind of went out. And certainly for the use case of spreading light, which at the time, most people had candles. So anyways, back to Tesla leaving Edison's company. You know, he start he working odd jobs for a little bit, digging ditches, gets connected to a few people, and they realize, you know, this guy's got a lot of great ideas. And so they invest money in him to, you know, to do some research that they hope to bring to product. But ultimately, um, Tesla gave up his the rights to his patents for stock in the company. The stock doesn't work out the business people, they actually made some money off the patents. So Tesla gets a little screwed over there. And then, yeah. and then Tesla um, founds kind of another company where he just finds people to fund him money and he works on getting patents. And at some point he develops a motor that can run on alternating current, this AC uh, we, we were just talking about. He displays mm -hmm. it at a, conference and catches the eyes of George Westinghouse. Yes, Westinghouse. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And 
a little fun fact, I suppose. Tesla says he developed the way that motor in his head when he was 26. He just never had the funding uh, to implement it until that time. Who knows? And touching on the uh, Tesla, the difference between him and Edison and kind of how they, Edison was more of a tinkerer and then Tesla was more of a, he would just kind of imagine it. He had picture memory. So he would literally design things like you just said with the AC motor, he would design things in his head to spec and then he would build it based off of memory on yeah, how he designed it. You hear crazy stories like that, that he would design it in his head, run experiments in his head. And I, I always wonder, what does it look like when he's working? Is he just sitting there staring at a wall? <laughs> <laughs> his, his eyes are just moving around. Do you think his eyes are open or closed? While he's <laughs> Definitely open, moving around. Like in the movies, you see all the math equations running through their heads. I guess that's what I was... Like the, uh, like the meme from The Hangover? <laughs> yes, that's what yes. I was <laughs> At all times. Yeah. And so meets this George Westinghouse, which uh, turns out profitable for Tesla because Westinghouse, for this motor that can handle alternating current, gives him $60,000, which in today's money is $1.7 for the designs for the motor, and hires him as a consultant for a year um, for about basically, you know, like in today's time, 600000 just to be a consultant for a year, and he gets royalties based on how much AC horsepower they use. So Tesla um, now kind of hits a bit of a jackpot. Mm, definitely. And it, he's not really much of a businessman himself. This was kind of his big moneymaker was always linking up with somebody who had money, who was willing to pay to use his invention. So this was a pretty lucrative time for him. And it was because he coupled himself with a businessman, George Westinghouse and was then able to um, continue just doing what he wanted to do, which was invent new things and then make money off of Westinghouse using his invention. Yeah, exactly. All he wants to do is research, give his, you know, give his life to science, make the ideas, but he definitely doesn't have the talent for business or communicating or maybe a little bit marketing, but getting his idea to product um, as we're saying. And yet George Westinghouse did it previously for a, a, and I believe for some mechanism on the railroad, and then now is able to harness Tesla's great ideas, and Tesla gets paid for it, and um, now he's you know living a little lavishly. He's living in the Astor House, which is a very luxury luxurious hotel in New York City that I believe 18 presidents stayed at. And uh, was this one of the Waldorf or? Uh, Waldorf? What, what is this? The Waldorf Astoria? Was this one you were saying there? That actually might have been later. I don't think about it. Yeah. So I, I guess that sounds like another hotel. He was a big hotel guy. <laughs> Never really owned a home. Kind of just. <laughs> it, it sounded similar, but then I was thinking about it and he was staying at the Waldorf. He didn't start staying at the Waldorf until like 1900. Okay. So. Yeah. And, I'm pretty familiar on his comings and goings with hotels. <laughs> and, and speaking of um, not being good with money, you know, that's probably not the most efficient way to get shelter or get housing is just pay for a hotel. Um, 
and, and quickly, I, I found this kind of comical. So the Astor House, this very luxurious thing. One of the things that made the Astor House so luxurious is every single floor had a bathing tub and a toilet. So, which is obviously today, most people have the luxury of having a toilet in their home or apartment or wherever they live. So, you know, it's just, it's kind of interesting that back in, back in this day, it's super luxurious to have a bathroom on the floor. <laughs> That's so gross. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, also on this time, uh, and maybe we touch on upon it later, but now he's got money. He's starting to live a little bit in high society, become friends with Mark Twain, um, you know, that type mm -hmm. of stuff. But ongoing is the what have become dubbed, and there's actually a recent movie about it um, that I I watched called Current Wars. Um, in, in Current this, Wars. I I saw that there was a movie about it, but and I dug into this a fair amount, and I have no clue how much the movie touches on it. So maybe you can maybe you can uh, tell me because. Um, I guess uh, now might be a good time, good a time as any to really dig in if you want. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the the movie. I mean, even before we decide to do a episode on Nikola Tesla, as soon as the movie came out, you know, I coughed up twenty bucks to see it because I, I was very, um, I was very eager to see it. The movie was great, uh, pretty historically accurate. But so with the current wars, and feel free to jump in um whenever but edison is uh, in his company um which i don't think it is but at some point it becomes general electric but edison and his company is promoting it, it, yeah at that point it was edison electric yep 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 he, he loved to have his name on it and he is a big <laughs> proponent of direct current he's got all his patents he's already demonstrated in manhattan the infrastructure the system so he's really pushing direct current um mm -hmm. while obviously like george westinghouse you know a little bit with the help of tesla although tesla's also out doing his own crazy research is you know pushing for ac and so one of the things edison really harps on is that alternating current he says is dangerous yes and and uh and if if you don't mind <laughs> i i could take a deep dive here into the back and forth between edison and westinghouse over the the danger of ac current oh so, ab yeah absolutely this is get into the drama so ac current was kind of growing popularity in new york and it was kind of like the up and coming and edison was trying to for lack of a better term, undermine it in a lot of ways. So he was bringing up the the danger of working with AC currents, people who were working on the power lines. Um, there were 30 deaths or so based on the power lines going through New York City. Wow. So there was a little bit of danger because at that time, the electricity companies were kind of not using as much precaution as we use now when it comes to exposed wires and things like that. So a lot of it was just inherent danger, but Edison kind of took the opportunity to blame it on AC power. And I think, I don't know exactly his motivation for it. Maybe he was just trying to kill the competition and um, was worried of the, the steam that they were gaining. But 
things really picked up when they started using electricity for the death penalty. Mm -hmm. And this was in the 1890s and they were trying to decide <laughs> over the current wars. This is an interesting kind of side current war is they're deciding which current they should use for um, electrocution or at that time it didn't even have a name. It was just death penalty by electricity. And Edison didn't want his company associated with it at all because he was against the death penalty. So at one point he said re regarding the electric chair um, that if they wanted to have the death penalty for someone that they should put them, they should be a lineman in New York, basically saying that they should work for oh. Westinghouse. Whew. Yeah. That's aggressive. Yeah. So there was that stuff going back and forth. And then things picked up when this guy, this guy's name is Harold Brown. And Harold Brown basically was originally un unaffiliated with anybody involved, but he had a, a huge gripe with AC Power, and he just wanted to take Westinghouse down in New York. And he was kind of, he was an electrical engineer, and he was kind of an expert in the area, and he would do experiments to show that AC Power was more dangerous. <laughs> he paid kids, local kids, to go and find stray dogs yeah. and then took a stray dog out in the street, electrocuted it with 300 volts of DC power. It survived and then electrocuted it three times with 300 volts of AC power. And then it died and then announced and people were like horrified that he did this. And then he announced that AC power was more dangerous because he used the same voltage for both. And AC was the one that killed the dog. And then people kind of said, oh, well, you might have weakened it by DC power <laughs> going first. So then he took three more dogs out the next week and electrocuted them all with AC power. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that, was, that was his like, initial experiment to show that AC power was the most dangerous thing. Yeah. And so in, in the movie, The Current War, and I don't know how accurate this is, uh, as I am citing a movie for my reference, but... Uh, Thomas Edison was, yeah, doing those same experiments with dogs and horses. But I don't know how involved Thomas Edison was directly, but clearly, as you found, this Harold guy was, uh, you know. Yeah, I think Harold Brown was the guy who was, like, originally doing the experiments out in public. And that's interesting that, that, that they dramatized it as Edison in the movie. Okay. Because Harold Brown, he was originally un unaffiliated, and then he kind of went to Edison and asked for equipment to help him with this kind of crusade that he was on. And Edison agreed. So they were colluding with each other, but Harold Brown was kind of touting himself as an independent expert. And he ended up the first case of somebody going to the electric chair. Um, Harold Brown was an expert testifying on what they should do and, and how they should do it from a technical perspective. He basically said that AC power was much more dangerous. The underlying goal was to affiliate Westinghouse with the electric chair because people were kind of scared of it. So he says that AC power is more dangerous. They originally say 3000 volts is the amount that they're gonna use. And then he says that 1000 volts is all you need with AC power because it's so dangerous because of the experience that he did. And then Westinghouse ended, ended up appealing this guy, William Kemmler, he was the first person to, 
to face the electric chair, Westinghouse ended up paying for the lawyers to appeal it and say that, um, that he, basically he was going to, that it, it wasn't going to kill him and that it was just going to be this horrible event for him. And um, just kind of a, kind of a side note, <laughs> electrocution wasn't a word at that point. So they were trying to decide what this was called. So Edison <laughs> said uh, dynamort, ampermort, or electromort were his favorite uh, words that he wanted to use. But one of his lawyers was pushing for Westinghouse. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's yeah, so just to give you an idea of how much media push there was to make it seem like Westinghouse was basically just a killer. Yeah. And um, so Westinghouse ended up losing the or Kemmler ended up losing the appeal. And then he ended up getting brought to the electric chair. They kind of made it so it was Westinghouse equipment that was used. They electrocuted him with a thousand volts of electricity and he didn't die. And they had to electrocute him multiple times to kill him. And everybody there basically said it was a horrible thing. And after the fact, it came out that Brown was in cahoots with Edison the whole time and it ended up kind of blowing up in all their faces because yeah. as, as a big uh, media ploy. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and yeah, everyone said it's super gruesome. I even heard, I think his body like caught fire at some point. Um, in, yeah. Um, so how much of the how much does that overlap with the movie? Is that just like a part of the movie? Yeah, I, it's very accurate. Very yeah, very good movie. That you know, that's the that's the, the spoiler alert. That's the premise of the movie. Uh, <laughs> and, and oh, I, you bring up such a good point though. So what motivates? Thomas Edison to be so opposed to alternate current and not either just adopting it in his own system and trying to, you know, compete with them technically. And it's like, is he, is he doing this purely for his financial reasons to protect his direct current patents and make money that way? Is he doing it because, which I kind of understand if you're super afraid of electricity when it first comes out, because before this you're using candles and fire and now we harness electricity which we see in the sky and we know can kill people and it's super dangerous so i can understand also being like very afraid to just put this in everyone's home so it, it's a good question i don't think we have the answers of what really motivated edison but he certainly benefited financially from um defeat. i mean yeah from, from from my opinion i think the idea that thomas edison is afraid of electricity <laughs> <laughs> he was completely biased he literally there were two it was like blu-ray versus hd dvd and he was on hd dvd yeah. and then he basically said blu-ray kills people yeah but hd dvd won't <laughs> that was a complete generalization and not a great analogy but yeah, he was on the losing side. And they still used DC power. But for what they were trying to do, which was um, gain these big contracts for um, using the motors to generate power for um, like Niagara Falls and things like that, Edison was losing these contracts. So I, I think he tried to win it in the world of public opinion. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's... 
Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's a good point, though. Like, he should know the, the math and the science behind it. <laughs> Thomas Edison. Um, so the big moment where the debate was kind of settled between AC versus DC for giving electricity to, you know, the rest of the Northeast and all the United States was a bid for the Chicago World Fair and Westinghouse won this. And again, they this whole time they're consulting Tesla. Um, but at this point, AC just takes off. Everyone sees this incredibly safe at this very big marketed event, the World Fair in Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then <laughs> during this time, Tesla, again, he, he's consulted by Westinghouse, but he's not fully employed. He likes to do his own thing. Now he has money to pursue his own research and he's, this was kind of cool and is almost reminiscent of his character in the prestige, but he, he would do a lot of experiments and people from New York city or, you know, wherever he is at the time, eventually he moves to Colorado, but people can come in and see these experiments. And one of them is, you know, he holds a light bulb in one hand and uh, a wire in the other hand. And he's like, you know, I'm using my body as a conductor to light the bulb even though it's probably going underground and another demo he had that he would show to people. Um, so he was a bit of a showman this way, but I think we've all seen this, the little plasma balls about the size of a, a soccer ball that you put your hand on and the, like the lightning or whatever it is, the electricity goes to your fingers. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They're uh, it's a great, uh, I'm just thinking now. I'm just thinking about how dirty those must be. <laughs> Not COVID appropriate. <laughs> I'm just thinking about. I'm just thinking about how many hands must, how many kids must be licking their hands and then grabbing that thing. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure some kids see like restaurants or or at like <laughs> at like uh, Brookstone or something like that. Oh yeah, and I'm sure kids are just straight putting their tongue on it. Um, but so. Probably. Yeah, and, and I always thought those were super cool when I would see those in stores as a kid. And Tesla, you know, imagine being in the late 1800s would demo um, that. And, it, you know, it's he's, he's doing his thing, doing his research. Um, yeah, he definitely had a, a flair for the dramatic, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, <clears throat> so at some point he moves out to Colorado because – I believe he wants to do this huge experiment where he wants to like transmit electricity through the earth. And I think he does this to some degree where he can have a light bulb in the ground, you know, a hundred yards away or something and give it, provide it electricity. But so he's in Colorado doing all this. And at some point he receives signals from out of space and, um, he like entertains the idea it could be aliens. I don't think he actually believed it. He also said it could be other people's experiments, but he's starting to lose credibility and he's starting to become what he becomes later in life. This kind of crazy, wild, mad scientist. And seriously. Yeah. He also, I think he wanted to be in Colorado Springs was where he was because it was closer to the higher atmosphere and he wanted to do experiments there as well. So we could, he wanted to take balloons and put them 30,000 feet in the air because he thought the air was conductive up at that altitude and then he would transmit electricity, basically creating lightning, I feel like. 
and uh, he had huge ideas, which was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, huge ideas, and yeah, he was. They they thought the atmosphere was conductive, which I mean, I don't think it is, but you know, you see lightning out there, but I assume it the lightning is touching ground or somewhere where it is can be conducted. But yeah, he he's pursuing absolutely um, insane experiments, uh, and, and feel free to add some, but some things he gets kind of credited with is uh, neon lights. So, and again, he never brings these to market. So it's not like he invented the neon light and all of a sudden bars are just putting the neon light up, but he had demos that was essentially neon lights accidentally or demos similar to x-ray. He's largely contributed with being a, having a huge impact on radio and even before that he's, he has this like radio remote control um, so he gets a lot of credit and he has a lot of these great ideas again not bringing them yeah. to production yeah he always it was always he would spend all of the research and development money and he would never he would just discover it and then his goal was to get a patent on it and then he never really tried to he would then just try to license the patent to other people yeah his goal was never really to to monetize for yeah. um for his own production do you know who, um, around this time, do you know who was financing him? Uh, I thought it was with J.P. Morgan, is that? Yes, J.P. Morgan. And this is not the company, J.P. Morgan. This is John <laughs> Piermont Morgan. <laughs> Literally, the guy, J.P. Morgan, yep. was the one who personally was funding him at this point. I think he gave him... Um, he was, he gave him like a couple hundred thousand dollars for, uh, 51% of any patents that he got for, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's wireless power. Yeah. Well, whenever I think of JP Morgan, I just think of like the monopoly man, but I don't know if that's, yeah, that's who he reminds me of. If you look him up like, online, he, <laughs> he kind of looks like the monopoly man. Not gonna lie. Um, yeah, I mean, JP Morgan, super kind of involved in this story. Yeah, he he does not look like he look kind of looks like a villain in a in a movie. But oh, he he also he also founds General Electric GE with Edison and other people. And obviously, he's also a main, as you're saying, funder of Tesla. And a lot of times, Tesla would get into kind of hot waters because he, he would tell the funders people giving him money, what they wanted to hear, and then just go take the money and do his own research and whatever he thought was, you know, kind of cool, interesting, would have a great impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in the, after his Westinghouse days, he kind of never had return on investment for anybody that oh. gave him money. No, no, certainly not. And another thing worth mentioning, so with the Westinghouse, he had that contract where he would get a portion of, the AC horsepower and eventually Westinghouse was very near bankruptcy and having a lot of monetary issues. And they went back to Tesla and like, can we revoke this for a certain fee? And Tesla agreed just because he wants to see Westinghouse succeed. He wants to see the technology um, put into production. But if he had not given up that portion of AC power, he would have at the time been one of the wealthiest people. Like obviously he got some big chunks of money at certain times, but if he, you know, had been, if he had desired to keep that royalty fee on AC power. He, his, originally, his contract, it was royalty fees based on kind of production. And they re, 
they kind of agreed to get rid of that contract and then they ended up buying it, the patent outright from him. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, yeah, not a, not a shrewd business move from him. No, and, and it, it may be he knew what would happen and he just, you know, he wanted to see them succeed. He's not, he's not a big money guy. He, he wants, but, um, and so <laughs> as a result, eventually he, he is bankrupt and he's, um, just moving, and this is his later years, you know, probably 60s, 70s. He's moving from hotel to hotel, leaving behind unpaid bills. And at some point, Westinghouse um, just starts footing the bill, and they they give him money that they just pay for his rent, and they give him a small stipend for the rest of his life, just out of, you know, probably what they feel they owe to him and all that he's done, but also out of good nature and maybe his connections and just respecting him, or maybe they didn't want bad publicity, but eventually Tesla lives the rest of his days, um, not with too much money, but just being paid for by Westinghouse. Yeah, I think it, people kind of speculate that it was bad optics for Westinghouse because they had, he was one of their greatest inventors and kind of made them their money. And he was... <laughs> He was going hotel to hotel and not paying his bills, so it was kind of a bad look that he was he was not um, he was living kind of an unsavory life, and he was such an important person in their history. I did some I'll save the listeners in trouble. I did some internet research to figure out if I could find un, the largest unpaid bills <laughs> for hotels in history. Honestly, I think Westinghouse or uh, not Westinghouse Tesla has a lot of these people beat. Because he he didn't pay, he stayed in the the Waldorf Astoria for like twenty years and didn't pay the bill. Really, <laughs> that long? Of, um, I don't know how much of it he didn't pay, but he was there. He ended up leaving because he wasn't paying, and he lived there for mm-hmm. twenty years. Okay. Um, there's a Saudi prince that um, was staying in Paris's Shangri-La Hotel, mm. and guess how much. Or the Saudi princess, actually. Guess how much her bill was that she uh, fled? Uh, do can you give me a time frame? Or do you, can this I say it? It looks like this was pretty recent. Okay. Um, I'm gonna say. Uh, actually, I have no way of knowing when this was. Yeah. So I mean, you know, this was in 2013. 2013. Okay. Very so recent. kind of, kind of recently. This is on the front page of Google. Where do you think we're going for the number one on the highest yeah. unpaid bills? We're talking Saudi oil rich money. I'm thinking hundreds of thousands. I'm going to say 400,000. Mm, pretty close. Uh, five million pounds. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like. So I think that one takes the cake. Oh, yeah. That's like six million US dollars. Um, yeah. And so yeah, he's going from hotel to hotel and he, he really starts to have an affinity for pigeons. And he's, he's, he's a guy out in the park feeding pigeons, uh, which, you know, is respectable. But at, at one point he did say he loved a certain pigeon like a man loves a woman. Um, but yeah. Well, <laughs> to be fair on. <laughs> and he, he he nursed it back to life, and I'm I'm sure you know kind of they, they were they were like pets to him. 
But so a science fiction writer, um, which Tesla is absolute gold if you're a science fiction writer, he organized a 75th birthday for Tesla. And it was big enough news. I think it made, you know, like the front page of Time Magazine. Um, there would be food and drink and Tesla would do demos and share his ideas. And so again, we start seeing some of these, more of these crazy, or you know, very uh, aggressive ideas, I guess I'll say. Um, one of the one of them, and so he eventually would hold this party every year, and he would sh share his ideas. But uh, one of them was just like a death ray, like this super powerful oh, yeah. <laughs> death ray. And, <laughs> and another one, he had this. He believed you could take a photograph of the retina to record thought. And again, he, these are very ambitious ideas. You have to really get down to the details to know exactly what he is saying. But this is, you know, a great inventor who has shown he can invent unbelievable things. And he's also, he also has this. In the, death, the death ray, he went to like the U.S. Department of Defense and tried to negotiate selling them the death ray. And he said that it was a weapon to end all wars. And it was like he used cosmic energy. And it was, people took it seriously enough that when he died, the FBI had somebody go in and take all the stuff so they could examine it to see if any of it was dangerous because they were worried that he might be like a, that he might have like some sort of crazy weapon in his house that he could possibly use against the United States. Yeah, exactly. And he was, he was shopping these ideas around to, to governments and right. I think a lot of people, you know, he did get this reputation later on as kind of this crazy scientist, but you have to give him respect. You have to at least hear him out because he's had all these success um, with inventions. Yeah. And, and yeah, as you mentioned, he ended up um, dying in a hotel room at the age of 86. Uh, so pretty long life. And I think the, the hotel maid found him because there's a do not disturb sign on the door and then they got suspicious. Um, but so at, yeah, at the age of 86, he, he passed away. Yeah. He got hit by a car when he was like 81. Right. Yeah. 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 And then probably, yeah, those complications. Yeah, Just a fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really have any follow-up on that. Just no, wanted he, to throw it out there. He got hit by a car. <laughs> but yeah. I think, uh, I think that was where he kind of started taking a turn. He was a vegetarian in his later years. So he was very healthy. He, he walked like eight to 10 miles a day. And uh, he was a vegetarian in his later years. He would drink like vegetable juice. Uh, yeah. But then he got hit, a, hit by a car in his 80s. And I think that kind of set him on a downward path from there. Yeah, yeah. I think we, we, should, we should talk about some of his quirks. Right. So later on, his diet was like almost just four, four pieces of food. Like you're saying, it was like honey and like milk and it was it was vegetarian um and yeah it was like honey milk um vegetable juice and then one other thing yeah and i mean he, he lived a pretty long time especially um at, at those times and uh, another quirk of his again he probably had obsessive compulsive disorder but he loved things to be divisible by three. He would only stay in a hotel room if the number was divisible by three. Before he would enter a building, he would walk around it three times. Interesting. I mean, 
better three than like nine, right? <laughs> Divisible by three. You, that's a third of the hotel rooms. That's a fair amount. I mean, divisible <laughs> by nine. You could walk into a, you could go to multiple hotels before you find one with with the room open. Yeah, we're doing nine laps around a building, but and yeah. uh, and uh, another thing he practiced was he would do toe curls a hundred a day, and he believed it improved his brain power, which he clearly had a lot of brain power. So maybe it was the toe curls. I don't understand the relation on that one. I think toe curls can make your brain power better. He's got to have – this is Nikola Tesla. He's got to have some sort of methodology behind it, but I just don't understand what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We need to – did he file a patent on this or something? We need to look it up. But um, it just yeah. – it, it gives a feel for kind of this quirky inventor um, who just had a very – had great visions and a lot of things, you know, more or less people say he kind of predicted or expected what the future would look like technologically, which before we, before we end this podcast, let's, let's talk about some of our predictions for the future and what we think it might look like. Do you have any uh, technological or any predictions for the future Slavo? Okay, so this is like kind of weird because I was, another thing I was going to ask is the if you think he kind of reminds you of anybody in modern day. And this kind of goes hand in hand with what I think as far as technology for the future. Is there anybody that comes to mind? Answer your question with a question. Okay, so in terms of, I mean, obviously you think of to a little bit, but I don't, I don't go all the way. You think of Elon Musk because Elon Musk is this great inventor, but obviously Elon Musk is very business savvy and makes his product and makes his ideas go, um, go to product. But like, yeah, like who are the great inventors? Does it make you, who does it make you think of? It makes me think of Elon Musk. That's the person that comes to mind. It's the person who Nikola Tesla was the guy who, you would say, oh, there's a travel problem. And then he would say, I'm going to build a tunnel that, like exactly what Elon Musk does, just makes these huge statements and then goes and tries to complete them. And Elon Musk definitely does it in a much more business savvy way. Mm -hmm. But that is what kind of reminds me of the two. And to connect that with your question, I think where we're heading is, is the uh, it's the brain connectivity stuff. Elon Musk has a, the, that company Neuralink. I think yeah. that's what it's all about. We're gonna have we're all gonna have chips in our head, <laughs> and uh, and it's gonna be full on 1984. We're gonna have chips in our head. We're gonna have contact lenses that um, project stuff in front of us, and we're gonna be we're all basically gonna be cyborgs. That's my prediction for the future. I'd yeah. say I'd say we're going to be full on cyborg in our lifetime. Oh wow. Okay. So, yeah, I think that depends on how you define cyborg. But no, I, I agree, and I was thinking of something like that as well. And a lot of this stuff, I mean, these inventions don't just come out of nowhere. People build on prototypes. They have ideas. They get tweaked, and then eventually mm-hmm. they get maybe they get mass produced. But there have been plenty of these brain machine interfaces where you can train people to think of say a number or a letter or something like that and then 
they can communicate that without talking. And, but usually it takes, you take a subject, you take them a month and you start to learn like what the neural patterns are, but, but they can think the number eight and then it, you know, can show up on a, on a computer screen. So I do think there's a lot to be said for these uh, communicating via thought and these kind of brain machine interfaces. I, per, I personally, I hope they don't have to inject something into our brains. I hope they can just use like a EEG and put some, you know, pads on top of your head. But I, I do think that, I think that's gotta be in the future. That's a, I, I agree with you on that one. Yeah. I wish, I wish it would be something cool like time travel or something. Well, I mean, <laughs> they say if time travel is ever invented, then it's already been invented. But, um, <laughs> but um or like teleportation would be pretty cool bring it back to the prestige mm -hmm. teleportation i think would be a very cool thing to have as far as other things i think just a way to fly without having to go to an airplane think of all the space it's crazy to think that this is me now getting up on my uh, my like crackpot podium here it's crazy to think that if you imagine all this space that we have around this world and then we're all just kind of like riding the top of it and we could just go up and there's so much room. Do you know how many cars could be in the air if we had cars in the air and then like everybody used little GPS technology? Nobody knows such thing as traffic because you'd have like infinite levels. Exactly. And so I agree. And also that's part of like when you ask me, what does the future look like? I just abide by whatever you see in Star Wars. Uh, you know, like robots and like that, like you're saying, these like flying speed chasers or whatever and jetpacks. Mm. And I agree. Why? Like we invented the plane so long ago. What has taken so long for someone to get a jetpack? And, and I know they have like small variations of it, but I wonder if, you know, maybe there was I a... Think... No, go ahead. Oh, I, I was like, what if there was someone like Nikola Tesla who people just except for jetpacks and people just didn't believe in his idea and he never got the investments, but he had the idea that would have made like commercial jetpacks a reality today. I think there's jetpacks. Like you could totally have a jetpack. The problem is you're going to die if you try to fly. <laughs> what you need is you need what Tesla has. The company Tesla is you need that GPS avoidance technology that mm -hmm. and like, okay, Tesla's doing it all. They're doing the, they, he's got SpaceX, which is doing the crazy like takeoff and landing stuff, all yeah. the crazy stuff that they're doing with that to make it so it can mechanically the the um, ship can mechanically land. And then they're also doing all the stuff with making it so cars are. I mean, a lot of car companies are doing this with all the GPS tracking stuff with the cameras and stuff. You put it all together, and we're all gonna, we're going to have these vehicles that you get into. And then yeah, sure they're going to have to figure out the. But I mean, come on. You have the U.S. Army. They have, like, helicopters that don't make any noise. They just yeah. take off and land. Yeah. You put this all together, flying cars. I like to think. I, I agree. And I, I think as soon as that's possible, like, it's a game changer in so many ways. Oh, it's a huge game changer. I, I, like, you just walk out and you <laughs> just kind of shoot off into the air. I mean, there's going to be a lot of unintended consequences. Imagine like just flying over to somebody's house and like dropping a water balloon on them <laughs> from their back. There would be a lot of peeping toms, <laughs> a lot of peeping toms. Yeah. <laughs> flying. People flying. That's yeah. what I imagine. Yeah. I my mind goes to that, thinking of the worst in people, but <laughs> I imagine with the, uh, 
yeah. No, I, I think they're, they're they're dealing with a lot of those um, issues right now with drones and airspace and all that. But yeah, no, I, I, I think drones is probably worse. Now that I think about it. See that? Yeah, that makes me like delivery. It makes me suspicious. I want to shut the blinds now. I'm thinking about <laughs> drones, Faraday has that technology. <laughs> you don't need to fly yourself. Use a quieter vehicle. Yeah, I mean, not to not, not to encourage paranoia, but they don't even need to use the drones. They can probably just use your laptop and, and look at you if uh, they got sophisticated enough technology. <laughs> how, much, how much experience do you think you would need hacking to be able to like hack somebody's webcam? I think a lot less experience than you need to hack someone's bank account because there's it, it's a newer technology and it's not it doesn't there's a lot of money to be lost if you're like a bank and you get hacked. But cameras, it's just, it looks bad. So I don't think they're, I don't think the software around the security of cameras is that strong. In fact, I always had, I had a, a security professor in college who uh, recommended putting tape over it and saying they're notoriously uh, not very secure, but. Well, there's a good tip for all of our listeners. You should be covering your, your webcam because uh, you, you, you're susceptible to hacking. <laughs> so bring, bring this back to Nicola. The what are your kind of walking away from this mm. research? What are you kind of walking away thinking about him? What what did you learn that you didn't know before that now you're saying? I'm so glad I listened to this podcast. I'm so <laughs> glad I did this research. What are we all going to walk away from here? And we're going to tell this. We're going to tell this at a party or something like that. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think he, I think there's a lot of little tidbits you can tell at parties, but at the grand scale as a whole, he is, a, he had just these great visionary ideas. He's like a scientist and inventor in the truest form and not, but, you know, didn't bring it to product. And this is a little different, but I think worth mentioning, it made me, I thought about it right now is if he and Edison were better at communicating, like they could have probably done so much good together, like with, you know, Edison a bit with the business savvy. Yeah. And if they could just have, you know, figured out how to work together. So I guess it almost in a way, I think there's a lot to be said about being able to communicate. And it's not just the unbelievable brain power to uh, envision a lot of the inventions. Yeah, that's true. Maybe, uh, a great mind somewhat wasted kind of when you think about the latter half of his career and uh, how it kind of got, it, it, it kind of felt like as he ran out of money, he kind of just kind of got more grandiose and grandiose in his responses to make it so he could get the money coming in. And it was less about the uh, making the productive contributions to society, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, but I mean, to get you go death ray, you go death ray, <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty much you're pretty much at the end uh, of I, your uh, uh, end of your wits. Yeah, uh, hey, who knows? Maybe he, he invented the death ray and he didn't. It was too much power for hu- humans to uh, to withhold. But yeah, I mean, he he had a lot of great ideas that maybe didn't come to fruition, and then maybe in the future they did. But certainly his research like he did have direct huge impacts at the time and probably still does today with you know all the discoveries designs and patents yeah he definitely uh he definitely earned things being named after him 
a hundred years later. He uh, he was a brilliant guy and and uh, made made significant contributions. Yeah, absolutely. So, and any last words, or should we sign off? Um. Now I'm just thinking about this dystopian future. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm glad we. I'm glad we researched Tesla, and uh, and I'm. I'm. I'm excited to uh, dig more into electrical engineering research because I need. I need to get better at reading that stuff. <laughs> I know. I want, I want to read his patents, but anyways. Uh, yeah. Take care, everyone. Take care. And here's more of the crackpot podium segment. Yeah. And then, okay, so about the dystopian future, the one good thing about any of this is it's so gradual. You know what I'm saying? This cyborg change, it will be like, first, you know, you have these little hats that maybe have these electrodes and it'll like help detect if you have a headache or it's just everything's so gradual. That's not like you're just thrown into this dystopian future, you know? We're in the dystopian future right yeah. now. True. If wow. you think like 50 years ago, if or no, not 50 years ago, say 80 years ago, before we had TV screens, this was before there were screens, anything. And the idea that people would be walking around holding a device that had a screen on it, an electrical device with screen, and they would be walking around staring at that screen all the time. Yeah. And not just one person would be, every person would be, everywhere you went, they would all be staring at their screen. And they would be looking at each other and they would say, did you see my screen? Look at what my screen says. And then the other person would say, ooh, that's a good screen. Look at my screen. And then everybody would just be, it would all be everything, like the whole social media thing and yeah. all that stuff with like how addicted we are to screen mm -hmm. time. Now everything is through the internet and it's all that stuff. I think that's like, it's totally dystopian 